thought-provoking discussions, insightful information, a captivating conversation, with the knowledge and experience to confront the issues that matter to you. This is North to South with MLA's Peter Millibar and Todd Stone. Here's your host, Bob Price. Welcome to edition number three of North to South. My name is Bob Price. I am here with Kamloops MLA Todd Stone, along with Kamloops North Thompson MLA Peter Millibar, uh, otherwise known as uh, Grizzly Adams by the looks of what I'm seeing. Welcome, gentlemen. How are you keeping? Doing really well. I think uh, he might look like Grizzly Adams, but he's obviously a very well read, uh, this gentleman from Kamloops North Thompson uh, that I see on the screen here. We're, we're doing well. It's It's been a, a very strange, challenging time for for many British Columbians, certainly in Kamloops, South Thompson, Kamloops, North Thompson. Pete and I are doing everything we can to be there for uh, for everyone and make sure people know what supports and resources are available. Uh, we're certainly very appreciative of the efforts of Dr. Bonnie Henry and her team of, of healthcare professionals. Uh, they've done uh, a, a really good job under extraordinarily difficult circumstances uh, to, uh, to help navigate all British Columbians through this health crisis. But it would appear that there is some light at the end of the tunnel. So looking forward to discussing that more with you uh, uh, today. Okay, Peter, so what's with the playoff beard? <laughs> well, it's exactly that. It's not a COVID beard. I, I think uh, in support of the fact that I think everyone can agree this was the year the Canucks were going to play the Leafs for the Cup. Um, you know, I figured since it's playoff time, I'll also run the beard for a little while and uh, and deal with it. Uh, some might say I'm probably uh, resemble closer to the bear than the uh, than Grizzly Adams himself, but uh, I'll, I'll leave that for further debate. But uh, as Todd said, working from home, uh, our consistent constituency office staff are working from their homes, but uh, we're still fielding calls from constituents. We're still able to uh, help people out and uh, working hard to, to try to keep making sure we advance any concerns or issues people have. Guys, in general, how are we doing under this leadership of Dr. Bonnie Henry, the provincial health officer, of course? Uh, she has uh, received so many accolades uh, right across the nation. And uh, in general, what is the big picture so far in your mind? I would say it would be this. Uh, you look at what happened in China, what's what uh, the experience was in Italy, and certainly in the United States. Uh, they're much more in the thick of it, it would appear to this point, uh, than we uh, ever have been here in Britain. Columbia. So strictly speaking, from the numbers perspective, it would appear that due to the sacrifices of all British Columbians and due to the leadership of Dr. Bonnie Henry, uh, we, uh, as a province, we have worked our way up that uh, that curve. We uh, spent a bit of time at the plateau, but the numbers suggest that we're now we are definitely coming down the other uh, side of 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 that curve. Uh, and so, uh, you know, big pat on the back, I think, to all British Columbians. Not out of the woods. Lots of concern ahead uh, in terms of reopening society, getting the economy going again. It's going to take a concerted effort. Uh, and leadership from the government, uh, and and it's got to be done in a safe and responsible manner, uh, fully incorporating the uh, continued advice and guidance of uh, Dr. Bonnie Henry and her team. All of that said, though, Peter, we have seen some gaps. Well, you know, I, I think when you look at uh, Dr. Henry at the, the early stages when she had that very emotional press uh, conference, I believe it was right around the time of the first or second passing uh, of a person, and um, and the fact that she's she's really been able to to rally the 
whole province around the seriousness of it. Uh, you know, unfortunately, we are a little bit over 100 uh, have passed away now. Uh, but, uh, you know, it could be a lot worse. And so, you know, I think the gaps we're seeing are not so much on, on Dr. Henry's side of things. I think the gaps we're seeing are more on the government side of things in terms of consistency of messaging around other ministries about other programs. Premier saying one thing, ministers saying uh, things are, are a little contradictory. Last week, the Premier indicated parks could be opening in the next week or so. Uh, yet the, the environment minister has closed the parks completely till May 31st and hasn't uh, validated one way or the other what the premier said. So I think that's where we're seeing some of these gaps coming in is that that interplay between the premier and his ministers and, and what is the actual direction forward versus uh, I think Dr. Henry's been very consistent with her messaging about the way forward. Is it me, Todd, or is it uh, possibly a little awkward that, you know, I'm thinking of the BC emergency benefit. This was a, this program was announced third week of March. I believe. Getting it into action, though, has taken a month and a half. Well, the the benefit you speak of, which is a provincial benefit, was announced by the Premier and uh, government on March 23rd, to be specific, uh, in the the short uh, uh, legislative session that was held, uh, where there was uh, support provided by all parties to uh, ensure that the government had emergency supply in order to continue to be able to fund the necessary uh, resources and supports that British Columbians need for about a nine-month period. March 23rd was, um, you know, that's well over a month ago. And so I think I think it's a legitimate concern to express uh, as to why it is uh, it is taking so long to to bring online uh, an, a, a program which will provide a one thousand dollar benefit to uh, folks displaced as a result of COVID. It, it, it's not just this benefit, however, the temporary rental supplement, which again I think everyone acknowledges something needed to be done to blow some uh, cash into through renters and in, into uh, landlords to recognize the fact that. So so many people have lost their jobs and are not able to meet meet their their uh, their rent. But again, with the the temporary rental supplement was announced uh, uh, in, on March 23rd, and then two weeks later, an application process was established. Uh, uh, and the eligibility uh, requirements came after that, and you know, to to this point um, of, of approximately 500,000 renters uh, in British Columbia. Um, the latest numbers that I have uh, today, um, only 54,000 British Columbians have even applied for this benefit. That's 10. And of the 54,000 who have applied, only 3,000 people have actually received payments. Uh, There's another 1,100 that are pending. So if you add those two together, that's about 8.1%. not a not a, a a great example of flowing uh, much needed uh, uh, financial support into the pockets of British Columbians uh, as quickly as uh, as everyone is saying is needed. A complicated procedure, a complicated application process by all accounts. Peter, are you hearing about it? Yeah, uh, very very much so. So the federal program was uh, four very quick an- uh, questions and answers, and the final answer back from the government was uh, congratulations, uh, you've been approved, and two thousand dollars will be in your bank account in the next couple of days, and it has been. Um, instead, we've seen a, a very complicated uh, rental, rental subsidy program uh, rollout that takes several hours for people to try to find the right documentation if they can even find it. Um, they need to get working with their landlords. Uh, they wait and wait and wait for a week and a half, sometimes two weeks to get uh, a reply back that they've been accepted, and then they have to wait further for the landlord to do a few more steps. And then you look at the $1,000 program, and that um, is uh, hinged on whether or not you qualify for the federal program. Well, the federal 
computer program, they started taking applications, I believe it was April 6th or 7th. Mm -hmm. um, and yet uh, we're not even going to have people being able to apply till May 1st. And so if the federal program was supposed to be the trigger for you, uh, pre-approved for that $1,000 provincially, uh, they're waiting a whole extra month to actually have that process in place. And, you know, this isn't just Todd or myself uh, saying this or my colleagues saying this. Uh, these are the constituent files uh, that both Todd and I referenced us working on at the beginning of this uh, podcast is that, um, you know, that's far and away uh, what we're dealing with right now is people having issues around trying to access the rental subsidy, people having issues about meeting the, the criteria for the $1,000 one-time benefit. Uh, they qualify, they don't qualify for the emergency benefit for various reasons uh, federally, but they should uh, very easily qualify, one would think, for that $1,000 provincially, but they're not going to by the looks of it. And so how do we uh, keep helping people on those fronts? And, and so, you know, that's the frustrating part right now is uh, we're, we're bringing forward these concerns we're hearing from constituents very real concerns and uh, sometimes we get accused of trying to politic but i don't know how we bring forward uh, legitimate concerns from individuals and business owners and publicly talk about them any other way and that of course doesn't even touch on the uh, on the commercial rent relief program todd well the the commercial uh, rent relief program was uh, uh something that that many many british Columbians and indeed thousands of canadians have been calling for for the better part of the past six weeks uh, if you just think about the fact that uh 50 of of uh, small businesses in british columbia in a recent uh, chamber of commerce survey indicated mm -hmm. that uh, they um, have no rent revenue coming in whatsoever. 75% uh, are not sure if they can make it another month to two months. Uh, you know, this are, these are staggering uh, numbers that, that uh, underlie uh, a, a situation that is very real. Uh, we have seen mass uh, uh, layoffs. We've seen all kinds of businesses shut down. Um, when, a, when a business doesn't have revenue coming in, sure, they can, they can lay off employees and they can look for other ways to cut, uh, cut costs. But when they have no revenue coming in, it's pretty, uh, pretty darn uh, uh, difficult to, to meet your, you know, one of your top expenditures, which is, uh, which is your rent or your lease payment. And so uh, the federal government in partnership with the provinces did uh, recently uh, announce a, a, a national uh, program uh, that will provide uh, funding up to 75% of small businesses' rent will be covered through a combination of, uh, of, of provincial and federal uh, supports, as well as um, a requirement for landlords uh, to also chip in uh, up to the 25% percent uh, or minimum of the 25 percent value of the rent. Um, the federal and provincial portions will be provided in the form of forgivable loans as uh, and, and the landlord is just just has to eat the 25 percent. That's mm -hmm. fair enough. Uh, and uh, the small business would have to come up with 25 percent. Some relief is better than no relief. Uh, so again, I think there was widespread um, appreciation that the uh, federal provincial governments had finally come to the table with something. But uh, as as the days have gone by since that program was announced um, only uh, last week, we are hearing uh, increasingly challenges that are being identified. Uh, the, the total amount of rent that will be covered is, um, is you know, like any program, there's a cutoff line. There's a whole bunch of businesses that are just barely on the other side of the, of the maximum rent that uh, makes them uh, ineligible uh, for receiving uh, assistance. There are many that are suggesting that, um, that in some cases, landlords are, are opting not to play ball um, in, in, in certain situations. And Landlords have to come to the table, or, or, or uh, you know, the, the 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 program doesn't work. Others are calling for an extension of the amount of time. At, at the moment, it's a three-month program, uh, April, May, and June. Others, uh, some are suggesting it needs to 
you know, be pushed out perhaps to August or September. So we'll see. Um, I guess it, it just, it, you know, to, to, to end this thought uh, on this program, following on uh, uh, Peter's comments and mine earlier, uh, why it will take until the middle of May for uh, the uh, application process for this rent relief program, uh, this commercial rent relief program to be set up is beyond me. Uh, I don't understand why provincial government in particular can't get uh, get get everything in order uh, in order to to make sure that this application process is up and running uh, sooner than 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 over two weeks from now. I think that's that's uh, letting a heck of a lot of people down, and, and small businesses don't have much time to waste here. The latest indication uh, from uh, the BC government on the education uh, front, very unlikely that the uh, school system, the public school system in BC will get back to class. Probably not until September now is the latest word. We've had mixed messages about this uh, all the way through. Other provinces have said, nope, no, we're done for the year. There was no clear indication until just recently that, yeah, it looks like the school year in school learning is finished in BC. Are you concerned about that that inconsistent uh, or lack of detail, Peter? Well, absolutely. And and again, this has nothing to do with uh, uh, Dr. Henry's uh, recommendations. This is about uh, clear guidance uh, from the Premier and from his Education Minister. You know, it was a pretty much a hands-off by the Education Minister. Each each uh, district left to their own uh, to figure out how to deliver education uh, in a whole different way for the last couple of months of the school year. So everyone was doing it a little bit differently. Some were up and running much faster than others uh, with very little uh, backstopping by the by the province. And again, uh, we've had mixed messagings coming from, from the Premier, from the Education Minister around possibly mid-May. Uh, you know, there's a press event with the Education Minister that everyone's expecting there's going to be more clarity around what next steps are. And then uh, he makes very clear this is isn't about reopening schools. That will be in the future, possibly, maybe. You know, and then mixed messages coming out because the the BCTF isn't sure what's going on. And that's understandable. They would be concerned, right? So we get the the need, people, especially if we're starting to reopen the economy in terms of childcare and what am I going to do with my school-aged children if I need to get back into to the workforce because uh, my business has reopened or the person I work for has reopened their business. But it really comes down to this lack of clarity uh, from the government. And that's really, I think, where we're starting to feel people People's frustrations grow is it's simply not good enough uh, to trot out uh, one announcement after the other days apart uh, conflicting messages uh, there needs to be the feeling of a very uh, well thought out cohesive direction that we are headed sector by sector and education being probably one of the largest ones in terms of people really needing to understand and and instead of seeing that very clear direction and decisive kind of timeline of what's happening we're getting the exact opposite so what I'm hearing from Peter Millibard today is we're not being critical about uh, the government. We're just saying, let's have some plan. And over to you, Todd, because uh, you seem to be a man of many hats, from a tech CEO to a transportation minister, and now, by gosh, you're a school teacher. Peter's kids uh, are, are just a little bit older than mine, so that they, they've all left home. Yeah. Uh, we, we still have uh, three three girls here, uh, 15, 13, and, and 10. And so uh, Chantel and I have, have stepped into the role, uh, uh, Chantel, um, uh, admittedly more so than I have, but we, we've both stepped into the role of, of doing what we can. Uh, to now, let's be, let's be totally honest here. You are clearly the teacher's aide. <laughs> yeah, and not, not a very good one at that. 
but it is something that parents are going through BC wide. It is, and and you know what? There's you know in our situation, we're both home. Uh, Chantel's contract work has continued uh, somewhat, although some of her contract work is is postponed, so she has a little bit of of of, of added uh, time. Um, I'm as busy as I ever have been, as Peter mentioned earlier, with uh, with our remote office supporting constituents. So I, I but but we do we are carving the time out necessary because it's critical that uh, we believe that our kids have a continuity of, of education uh, and, and it's particularly important in the, in the higher grades. Uh, so our daughter who's in grade 10 and our, our middle daughter who's in grade eight, um, you know, those foundational uh, math and science and English concepts uh, are, are really, really important to set your kids up for success. I will say this, I um, have uh, an even deeper uh, appreciation for the work the teachers do and the challenges that uh, parents are encountering today have nothing um, uh, whatsoever to do with uh, a lack of effort uh, on the part of teachers. Uh, um, I think the district is doing the best that they can, uh, but as Peter pointed out here, the missing link uh, is is a provincial government, uh, a minister of education, uh, who um, has left so much to chance um, and has not uh, has not answered uh, or provided clear direction, clear. Um, uh, leadership on on what is expected uh, uh, in terms of ensuring that education is delivered at, at an equal level uh, to all kids across the province. And um, and lastly, we get uh, on Friday uh, afternoon, uh, uh, April 24th, we get an announcement from the government that, um, uh, shocker, uh, they're going to uh, invest in rural internet uh, connectivity uh, projects. Mm-hmm. Um, look, this has been announced uh, by my count uh, five times under the, the current government in the past two and a half years. And guess who announced it uh, the very first time, this program? That was me back in 2016 when we were still in government. Uh, we are letting down a heck of a lot of kids in rural communities, in communities like Chase and Barrier and Clearwater uh, and every point in between where the internet access is not that reliable. And if it is there and it, and it is reliable, often it's very expensive. And so that's a, becoming an equity issue in terms of the quality of education that, um, uh, that our kids are receiving around the province. I would suggest that the province has got a heck of a lot more work to do on this front and they better get on with it because we're going to lose a whole school year here before you know it will be into the summer and yeah. September will be bearing down on us uh, again. If, if there's a second wave of this COVID and we have to go, you know, we come out of some really tough restrictions for a while, but then, you know, if we have to go back into some tighter restrictions, let's hope that the government is better prepared on the education front to to make sure that our kids receive the education that they need. In the midst of all of uh, the pandemic uh, chaos uh, that is unfolding before our very eyes almost on a daily basis, we also have a sect of our population that we're noticing. uh, I I have uh, so many more people commenting to me how many more homeless there seem to be out and about now. We've also got some uh, fairly substantial homeless camp situations happening. Uh, I'm thinking Victoria, Vancouver on that front for the most part. And through it all, what is the situation facing them? Because there, again, we have a large uh, number of people at risk. Yeah, and, and you know, I'm not sure if it's that we we have a true increase of numbers of people this early on in, into the pandemic in terms of uh, people now becoming homeless, um, but but they're certainly much more noticeable, and, and that's to be expected. I think when you see uh, the the flow of, of uh, commercial traffic within, say, Victoria Street area, the Tronchio Market, or downtown Eastside, any of those types of areas uh, lessen. 
um, obviously the people remaining uh, become uh, much more uh, noticeable because of their presence. Uh, and, and that's, uh, I think, a statement for all of us as a society. Uh, but what we're seeing right now is, uh, again, I mean, we've been dealing with this since uh, mid-March. It's now pushing May. And now, um, you know, as we're talking about reopening the economy, the government has stepped in to try to figure out how to home the house, home the homeless. Um, you know, that, that seems like that should have been well underway. Uh, before a month and a half down the road when people are talking about getting back and, and trying to reopen stores and, and businesses. Um, you know, then the fallout is, what happens post this? What What's going to happen to the $300 bump to people's uh, disabilities payments? Is the government going to take that away from them? Or, or is that now ingrained into the budget? What is going to happen with, with uh, the housing into, into all these hotels? Um, is the government going to tell people it's time for them to go? What if they don't want to go? What if the housing advocates decide we've seen them take over elementary schools and community centers? What if they come into these hotels and say, no, we're not moving anyone out? Um, I, I think the government, again, has been uh, very slow to come out with uh, cohesive plans moving forward uh, that are going to impact any meaningful change. And I'll just end it with this. If it was as, as simple as waiting this month and a half to be able to suddenly home, uh, house all the homeless in British Columbia, provide proper supports, and have a long-term ongoing plan that we can afford to implement and have in place moving forward, why did it take the middle of a pandemic for the government to do that? Why haven't they done that in the last three years? Economic uh, recovery plan uh Finally, uh, uh, something in the works on that front. But here we are uh, well into uh, this shutdown of the economy. Economic recovery, what are you uh, ex- expecting? What is uh, what is a, a priority for Todd Stone? Look, uh, uh, when, when you have a, a, a health crisis like the one that we are experiencing, uh, you absolutely uh, need to lean on and entrust uh, with, with, with complete responsibility uh, your public health officials and the provincial health officer, Dr. Bonnie Henry. And, and I think as Peter and I both said, uh, she and her team have done a very, very good job. And, and they, they need to continue to be central uh, in any um, in any decisions that are that are made moving forward uh, and helping inform those decisions to make sure that any reopening of society, a reopening of the economy uh, is done safely and responsibly. That being said, we are at that inflection point now where we uh, it, it's, it's now incumbent upon the government, uh, the government of British Columbia to step up and, and to exercise its judgment and its leadership uh, at pulling together uh, an economic recovery plan that speaks to the gradual, but nonetheless, the, the reopening of uh, British Columbia's uh, society and our economy. And so uh, if indeed uh, British Columbia is going to be launching uh, or releasing a, a, a recovery plan um, sooner than later, that, that will be uh, welcomed news, I think, by, by British Columbians. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's get on with that part of, um, of, uh, of uh, or get, get on with that next chapter, because uh, what I think needs to be discussed more as we move forward is, is on the one hand, there's a huge economic uh, toll that has been taken that will continue to be taken by British Columbia 
Colombians. That's reflected in unemployment. That's reflected in businesses that actually won't ever reopen. The longer this goes on, that number, unfortunately, will increase. Also, mental health challenges that I think mm. we're all experiencing to different degrees. We're, we're human beings are, are, are social creatures. We're not meant to be uh, kept indoors in our homes uh, uh, in perpetuity. We know that uh, uh, there are uh, some pretty concerning uh, numbers insofar as addiction uh, and uh, alcohol uh, abuse. Uh, domestic violence is up very regrettably. Um, on and on uh, the list goes. And, and don't forget that that um, what, what's the number? 10, 12, 14,000, somewhere in that range. Surgeries uh, have been postponed. Uh, they're called elective surgeries. Remember, they're not elective to the individual who needs the procedure. They're elective to a healthcare system that has to ration the, the health, uh, the delivery of health services uh, in the context of, of an overall budget. You know, how many of those patients have had a, you know, a, a significant deterioration in the quality of their health uh, because their surgery, whether it be a cancer-related or a hip or, or, or knee replacement or whatever it is, uh, has been delayed uh, as a result of, of this. So a huge, uh, very, very difficult to shut things down. Uh, no question about it. And again, credit to Bonnie Henry uh, to this point. More difficult to open things back up again. Uh, and uh, that cannot be done just by one person. That has to be done first and foremost with the, uh, the leadership of the BC government on the table, informed by the public health community. Peter, both you and Todd have been invited to uh, be part of uh, the mayor of Kamloops uh, economic task force uh, to get things restarted. Uh, what uh, input are you uh, coming to the that table with? Well, I think when uh, when you look at the list of people that the mayor has brought together, a very comprehensive, a, a good cross section of, of skill sets, and, and nice to see a regional district representation there as well, because we are one big regional economy. And so I think what you're seeing is there's there's uh, even great more and myself, former mayors, uh, with a bit more of that, that municipal eye on operations or how things can, can unfold there and, and what can or can't be done. And then certainly with Todd there as the municipal affairs critic and his background in as a technology expert, um, I think will really uh, provide that base for us to, to look at the broad diversified economy we do have in Kamloops and make sure it's not just singularly focused on municipal operations, but making sure that all aspects of, of our economy are being thought of and considered uh, for the recovery. What can be helped along uh, with the local government? What might need a bit of uh, provincial help and push? And then with Kathy McLeod there as well, uh, what might need a little bit of federal help and push? Each city is going to be uh, very different in how they address this and, and certainly Clearwater is looking at things differently than Camelos would, uh, which is to be expected given their size and, and geographic locations and things of that nature. So it won't be a one-size-fits-all, but I, I think it was a wise move by the mayor to bring the group together and make sure that it wasn't just politicians, that it was a, a good cross-section of, of our diversified local economy as well. Peter is hearing about it out of Clearwater and uh, up the North Thompson Valley. Todd, you, I know you're hearing about this as well in the surrounding Kamloops, South Thompson riding out toward Chase. Oh, absolutely, and and uh, you know we'll we'll be plugging ourselves in uh, anywhere and everywhere we're asked to offer assistance to to help communities get back up on their feet. I think I think a good starting point is going to be in, in my in my mind. 
um, looking at those sectors, those industries that have remained open uh, during this uh, this pandemic, and asking the fundamental questions: What have they done to uh, ensure the, the the protection and the safety of of their workers? We haven't had, uh, thankfully, any uh, uh, any outbreaks uh, at Domtar, at um, New Gold, at Tolco, at uh, any number of construction companies. You know, remember the residential construction and construction generally has been open through this crisis. Truck drivers have been driving, grocery store uh, folks have been showing up uh, for work, thank thank goodness. So there's all kinds of workplaces that um, have a real world experience through this crisis of actually uh, managing mm-hmm. their way through safely and responsibly. So let's figure out what, what they did so that protocols can be properly developed for all those other uh, sectors of our economy so we can help them uh, uh, resume uh, operation as quickly right. as possible as well. Sadly, we have had situations uh, where our food chain has uh, is starting to stumble a little bit, uh, uh, whether it's meatpacking plants or uh, poultry processing. Uh, a quick comment on on that from you uh, as the uh, environment critic, uh, Peter. Well, I think uh, moving forward, we're gonna we're gonna see more concern around uh, parks, access to parks, um, uh, especially when it comes to to hunting or fishing. In terms of how are you still going to gain access if those parks are shut down? Um, and, and although for a great many people, uh, you, you wouldn't necessarily think of hunting or fishing as a way to, to make sure your protein is sourced for the year or for the summer, uh, there's a great many people in our area that do rely on that. Uh, a lot of friends of mine uh, do that uh, on a regular basis. So um, that's one piece of the food chain that I think is going to need to be addressed uh, sooner rather than later. Uh, you know, my hope is that as we see, you know, factories go down, especially in the States where we're seeing uh, very large uh, processing plants go down, that they will be back on stream in, in a reasonable time that we won't see a permanent uh, slowdown within the, the food supply chain. You know, when you think of the hoarding situations that were going on, we saw that blip. It got very hard to find things. Uh, we're slowly seeing that improve again. And hopefully that's all this is, is a blip as we see the economy start to open up in various jurisdictions that we will, in fact, see that more secure. But but at this point, uh, a great worry on the economic side of the supply chain when it relates to especially the protein side um, when you hear what's going on with the Cattlemen's Association, when you hear what's happening with access, even on the small-scale operators, to get their, their processing done, they're, they're fully booked until into fall already. Um, and so we have a, definitely a processing shortage and a lot of animals walking around on the hoof right now uh, with nowhere to go for uh, to make access to, to the food supply. You know, when the going gets tough, the tough often get going in uh, Kamloops North, in Kamloops South, throughout this entire region. We are full of a lot of tough people, uh, a lot of giving people, generosity like we, we cannot imagine in this time that we thought we would never have to imagine. There have been some amazing examples of selflessness out there. Todd, what's warmed your heart? Well, I, I would say three things really quickly. First off, um, we witnessed uh, the the largest ever haul of of, of uh, non-perishable food in the Kamloops Food Bank's history recently. You know, when the call was put out to, to Kamloopsians and folks in the in the area to give a little bit more, if you could, this year to help others, I think the, the haul this year, Pete, you, you can correct me, uh, uh, but I think it was 70,000 pounds of non-perishable food was collected. And that was up from maybe 50,000 pounds as the previous high water mark. Secondly, uh, there's there's many groups that have popped up. One in particular, Caremonger and Kamloops, uh, it's a neighbor-to-neighbor delivery service to help people uh, get food and prescriptions and those kinds of things. Um, 
um, hundreds and hundreds of volunteers. In fact, far more people have stepped up to volunteer than they than they will ever need. I've been happy. It's been, it's been a, a great um, uh, honor with Chantel to uh, do some of those deliveries. And last but not least, I'm really proud of a lot of small businesses in Kamloops that have innovated their brains out through this. You know, they've really risen to the occasion. When you think of the innovative menu offerings, you think Think of the, um, uh, the 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 takeout and the delivery uh, uh, places like Peter's Pasta, uh, you know, that um, is 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 doing a pretty good clip of business. Uh, why? Because they've the, they're offering a really innovative way to come and you know pick up uh, pick up your, your food uh, and take it out. So I, I just think you know I, often we focus a, a lot of time and attention on the negatives, and there are a lot of them in this situation for sure. But um, there are some incredible silver linings. Uh, some people and organizations and businesses uh, doing them amazing things in Kamloops and it makes me really proud to uh, to live here. Yeah, and you know Peter, I'm I'm putting my hands together because I'm thinking of some of the innovation, uh, the innovative ideas, the changes that Kamloops businesses have made all of a sudden producing hand sanitizer. Yeah, from uh, from companies trying to get on on uh, changing up um, and using some of their alcohol supplies instead of distilling into mm-hmm. hand sanitizer to a wide range of things. It's been uh, very heartwarming, as Todd says. Um, you know, and I think that's going to be the interesting part as well uh, as we move back uh, into uh, an opening up of the economy, as it were. Um, how many of these rules that we've relaxed, uh, that the world did not stop spinning, that uh, riots didn't break out in the street, um, are we going to enable businesses to, to keep having relaxed so that uh, they can have a streamlined way to, to continue to try to reestablish themselves um, in our marketplaces? And how many other rules and regulations of maybe some of those closed businesses did we have um, that we really don't need? Um, and, you know, that's, I think, what's led to some of this innovation and quick response is that government got out of the way on a large part on some of these things and said, okay, uh, make sure that that proper, um, you know, say say with liquor side of things, make sure you're still getting proper IDs, make sure that people are still um, abiding by the rules and, and in terms of uh, consumption or, or taking home and, and making sure they're not drinking on sidewalks and things like that. Uh, but let's figure out a way to move things forward that, that is not so regulatory burdensome um, that as we start to reopen our economy, there were, uh, the old school regulations that were already a bit of a drag to the economy in good times uh, will make it that much harder to recover and reopen uh, for businesses. So how the government, uh, and let's face it, it's a government that ideologically is not usually one to have government get out of the way of entrepreneurship. How is that government going to actually enable entrepreneurship and get out of the way instead of creating a whole set of new rules or reinstituting rules that really don't need to be put back in place again? At the end of the day, we're all on the same side, aren't we? Absolutely. Well, let's let's hope. And and uh, and, and Bob, I just wanted to add one final point on on uh, you know uh, really heartwarming. Uh, uh, stories. Uh, you know, I, I cannot imagine for the life of me how hard it has been uh, to be any frontline healthcare worker, but but particularly those men and women who work in long-term term care homes. And, um, uh, you know, while we haven't had some, uh, you know, thankfully to this point, um, and I hope we don't, but we haven't had any major outbreaks in, in Kamloops in, in long-term care. And this is a tragic, tragic subtext to this bigger, you know, to this broader story here, not just in British Columbia, 
but around the world. It, the vast majority of people who have uh, who have lost their lives, who will never return to their families, uh, are are the frail and elderly. And uh, we have got to figure out once the you know we're we're through the uh, the, the pandemic and and we're into that that phase of talking through what worked, what didn't work, what do we have to change and do differently, and should we ever find ourselves in the same place again? We have got to figure out uh, as a province how we can do a better job of of being there uh, for uh, folks in uh, in long-term care homes, both the elderly, but also the folks who work in these places. Um, uh, that uh, is, is probably one of the saddest elements of this. Of this, or every life is is precious. Um, uh, we've seen a lot of lives lost in in long-term care homes. All of those healthcare workers going to work in each day, uh, the frontline workers, police officers, firefighters, all of these people who are traditionally first responders to a situation, they don't know what situation they may or may not be going into, but they do what they do because that's what they do. Yeah, um, even even truck drivers and, and Pete even and truck I, drivers. Pete, Pete they, and I were, were were happy to help. I uh, put up a, a bunch, you know, some signs for the, you know, a, a, a truck driver meal program. Um, recognizing these hardworking men and women are driving these trucks, and they were increasingly finding it difficult to find a place to have a hot meal uh, yeah. because restaurants were closed, or to go to the washroom for that matter, or to yeah. wash their hands. And so, uh, you know, thanks to the BC Trucking Association and and uh, a number of partners, uh, they uh, they now have access to a, a growing number of food trucks uh, in Kamloops and around the province. And again, another example of the the types of people that are rising above the uh, above above the fray here uh, to, uh, to 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 uh, sacrifice of themselves for uh, for the rest of us. And we really really uh, thank them uh, from, our, from our hearts. Well said, well said, gentlemen. I think that is our time uh, for edition number three of North to South. I think there is a dog that wants to go for a walk here, if I'm not uh, Yeah, mistaken. someone walked by, so you got a little bit <laughs> outside the door. <laughs> well, that just proves that we're at home, folks. That's there you right. go. <laughs> Social distancing is alive. And, yep. <laughs> uh, normally, we haven't been in the same room for a while, but uh, you know what? We'll get through this together. Yeah, well, let's hope that when we do, Pete's beard is not touching his, uh, his lap. Yeah, we'll see. One of these days, I'll just get frustrated and it'll all be gone. But uh, <laughs> I was three, four days in and was starting to grow. And I said, do I shave or do I let it grow? And I said, uh, I might as well let it grow for a while and see what happens. It makes you look rather dapper. Oh, there you go. I saw the, I saw the eye roll. <laughs> <laughs> to Todd Stone, to Peter Millibar, thank you. And thank you for listening and uh, watching us this week. And uh, stand by, edition number four, not so very long, uh, far away, of North to South. My name is Bob Price. A great week to you.